The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Tonight, we delve into one of the most harrowing tales of human experimentation and survival. Our special guest is Steve Smith, a man who lived through a nightmare at Ontario's infamous Oak Ridge Mental Health Facility. In 1968, Steve embarked on a hitchhiking adventure that would lead him to incarceration, experimentation, and abuse. After ingesting two taps of acid, authorities misinterpreted his drug trip as a mental breakdown, leading to his placement at Oak Ridge. There, Steve found himself among dangerous criminals and are the, under the control of the sinister Dr. Elliot Barker, subjected to brutal and unorthodox experiments involving various drugs, abuse, and torture. Steve's story is a testament to the human spirit and its ability to overcome adversity and find redemption. He has since become a successful entrepreneur, but his past experiences at Oak Ridge continue to haunt him. Through his story, we explore the dark history of mental health treatment, the potential links to the CIA's top-secret MKUltra program, and the ongoing struggle for accountability and justice. Join us as we delve into Steve's journey, hear his story of resilience and hope, and uncover the truth about one of Canada's darkest chapters in mental health treatment. We'll be exploring some difficult questions. Were they trying to cure psychopaths or create and control them? Was this a genuine attempt at healing or a cover-up for more sinister motives? History is played by maturing candidates, patsies, and other examples of individuals being exploited for hidden agendas. Welcome to Veritas. If this is your first time listening, welcome home. To access tonight's full interview and all of our exclusive material, simply join the Veritas Plus family by clicking on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. And while you're there, don't forget to check out the Veritas store for a range of great products, including Focused Life Force Energy. Experience the power of FLFE with a 15-day free trial today. No credit card required. We're excited to announce the launch of our brand new Veritas Plus Insider, your source for exclusive news and insights you won't find anywhere else. If you're looking to get in touch with Mel, have a guest suggestion, or would like to provide feedback, simply click on the contact button on our website. So sit back, relax, and enjoy tonight's show. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. The title of his book is The Psychopath Machine, a story of resistance and survival. And his website is thepsychopathmachine.com. And directly from British Columbia's Sunshine Coast, I'd like to welcome Steve Smith. Hello, Steve, and welcome to Veritas. Hi, Mel. Nice to be with you. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. Steve, you have a great story to tell. But first of all, let me just say this. The United States at one point admitted that they had conducted experiments and compensated many of the subjects, but the Canadian government never admitted their involvement. I wanted to leave this question for later, but I'd like to establish the, the, the topic with this. Why? And I guess the Trudeau legacy continues with his son. I'm talking about Pierre Trudeau, who speaks from both sides of his mouth, a dictator or dictatorship is truly in his DNA. He claims to be an advocate for freedom of speech, but 
Look what he did to the truckers. And, and we could do an entire episode on Justin Castro, I mean Trudeau, alone. But I don't want to digress. Let's begin with your story. You were hitchhiking at the age of 18. Let's begin with that. Well, you know, it's it's hard to look back more than 50 years in the past and see how any of this could be relevant today. But it really does. Um, I'm glad you started off by talking about Trudeau because this story goes back to Pierre Elliott Trudeau. He was in he was the prime minister when these experiments were going on in the 60s. So he most definitely knew about it. This brings it into a contemporary thing because Trudeau, Justin Trudeau, is our current dictator. So 1968, I was really no different than any other teenager. It was a, a generation of kids that were um, moving out of home, moving away from home and, and a huge migration of hitchhikers um, heading out for the West Coast, so to speak, either Yorkville to um, um, Haight-Ashbury, those kind of things. So I got into some trouble with the law, made a few mistakes, and wound up uh, incarcerated. Nothing serious. I didn't really commit a serious crime in my life up to that point. But, you know, after all these years looking back at it, I'm 100% convinced that they were looking for people like me. This wasn't just um, this wasn't an accident. This wasn't just something that happened to me because I was a foolish kid. They were actively hunting people just like me for these experiments. So um, there's so much to unpack about Oak Ridge. The deeper you go into it, the more complicated it begins. Oh, yep, Steve, go ahead. Sorry about that. Sorry, go ahead. Okay, so the more you know about all the players that were involved in Oak Ridge and their background, um, what schools they went to, um, where they were employed, uh, the details of their history, the more obvious it becomes that this was much deeper than just um, psychiatric experiments or, um, in fact, looking for a cure for anything. They most certainly were not looking to cure anything. But something that I learned along the way, I learned this hard lesson. You can't just make these accusations. Um, so many people in the world, for one reason or another, want to be involved in MK Ultra. They want to be gang stalked or a victim of something. But if you want to make these claims, you need to have documentation. Otherwise, you, you really don't have anything. You're just another voice in the wilderness. And I know that because for years in the beginning, when I tried to sort out what happened to me, I was a voice in the wilderness. I had nothing to back up what I say. I was often frog marched out of interviews in various radio stations um, because people just simply could not believe that this could happen. But yes, it did happen. And over the years, I carefully accumulated um, Know Your Song Well before you start singing, like Bob Dylan said. So, yes, I got the documentation through freedom of, of or through access to uh, information and other sources and put together a story that could not be denied. Um, in, I'll skip forward a bit to, oh, 1996, after, after being thrown out of a lot of interviews and ignored 
Actually, don't really go there yet, if you don't mind, because I like to go in chronological order. I may have skipped with that first question and and uh, mentioning Justin Trudeau. Let's begin from with Oak Ridge. Oak Ridge was a maximum security forensic mental health care center in the province of Ontario that served an exclusively male population. And we'll talk about St. Thomas later, which serves the female population. Can you tell us a little more about the history of Oak Ridge and the types of treatment that were used there? Okay, well, Oak Ridge, the building itself, part of the Penetanguishene mental health facility, um, big acreage and multiple buildings. But Oak Ridge itself, um, I believe it was built in the 1930s, and it was custodial in nature. It was nothing like a hospital. It was prison-like. It was um, it was all steel bars and, and um, custody. I believe no one had ever escaped from Oak Ridge. Maximum security. Absolute maximum security. Um, incredible maximum. More maximum than any prison that I'm aware of. So this is where the experiments began. The people that were held in Oak Ridge were the worst of the worst. They were murderers, rapists, child killers. Um, the worst people you, you hear of, like Jeffrey Dahmer, type people, um, the worst criminals in Canada. Some of them had been held in there for, before I arrived, they had been there for 30 years. So this was not, this place was never about curing mental illness. It was always just about holding in the most secure fashion people that you could not ever release to the streets. Um, Peter Woodcock, a good example, he, uh, he murdered four children um, they let him out once after I think he'd been there for 40 years. They let him out on a day pass for one day and he murdered again. Just like um, um, Hannibal Lecter, this guy, Silence of the Lambs. Um, all the baddest of the bad people. Now, my particular crime was I stole a car. I, it was actually kind of borrowed it for a few hours in a desperate situation when I was freezing stranded and hitchhiking. So I wasn't exactly uh, among the kind of peers that um, that populated Oak Ridge. But after years of looking into this, my conclusion is they didn't want only um, they didn't only want the worst of the worst. They didn't they had all of these criminals who were confirmed psychopaths, but they needed a control group. Some people, some patients who weren't mentally ill at all. I never in my life before or after had any episodes of mental illness, no schizophrenia, no depression, um, didn't suffer from any of that. So how on earth could I find myself locked up in the worst forensic psychiatric institution in the world at that time with the worst people? They could not have thought that I belonged there. There must have been some other reason. Well, yes, a control group. If you're going to be working with psychopaths to know if your, if your techniques and treatments are working or not, you have to do the same, the, the same experiments with someone who is not a psychopath, as in a control group. So that's my conclusion of how I wound up in Oak Ridge. That's just incredible. And your experience at Oak Ridge, I'm sure it was a nightmare, incarceration, experimentation, 
and abuse. I'm thinking you probably have seen, of course, it's science fiction, but Stranger Things here in the United States, a lot of this is, is featured there. I'm sure it's worse than what we're told. Can you tell us more about what happened to you and what your life was like during those eight months? Absolute nightmare. Every moment of your day was was controlled. Um, every movement you made was um, monitored and controlled and dictated. Um, the, the odd thing about this program, the patients themselves were in charge of it. It was only Dr. Barker and um, some attendants, um, maybe some nursing attendants, but um, there were hardly any professionals in the building at all. The whole program was ran by the inmates themselves. Now, some of these people were really bad people, as you know, and they were making decisions about treatment for me and for others. So What so the of, patients, I don't mean to interrupt you, the patients were in charge of the asylum. I thought this happened in the, we'll talk about this later, St. Thomas, where the sexual offenders were sent to live in the same quarters of the women there and were the teachers. But I thought it was happening, that it was happening also in Oak Ridge. Oh, yes, of course. Um, this was standard behavior. This was just transferred from one institution to another after it had been perfected in Oak Ridge. Now, let me tell you where this program came from. And I can prove this. I have all of the documented evidence, um, including letters and um, oh, all of it. So when Dr. Elliot Barker, he was, he was the one who started this program in 1966, He graduated from the University of Toronto in 1965, was hired by Oak Ridge right out of university, and was given a one-year sabbatical to travel around the world to go to other institutions, to other mental hospitals, other re-education centers in some of the most bizarre places like communist China. 1965, he went to communist How China. How was he allowed there? That's the thing. That's the thing. I have this in his own words, by the way, his own admission to me about his trip to China and some of his adventures. But China hadn't wasn't even open yet. It wasn't open until I think Nixon in, I don't know, 1970 something. Yep, 70s, right? Yeah. So no tourists, nobody went to China to study communist Chinese re-education camps. But Barker did. He went there. That was one place he went. He also went to Israel, where he stayed on a kibbutz for a while. Then he went to East Germany, behind the Iron Curtain, and studied one of their uh, re-education, prison, psychiatric hospitals. So he traveled the world learning techniques. Then he brought those techniques back to Oak Ridge, where he started what he called the therapeutic community, where the inmates themselves ran the program top to bottom, made decisions about treatment, about um, uh, drug treatments specifically, about confinement, literally about torture. They really seriously tortured people. Um, this is documented. You can find it multiple newspaper stories after the lawsuits were pretty much complete that really made it clear that this was indeed torture. How, how is this possible? It's almost like a an island of Dr. Moreau inside of that institution. Well, yes, because this was this wasn't about 
maybe not so much about the Canadian healthcare system as it was about um, intelligentsia, military intelligence, CIA intelligence. The the notion of MK Ultra that was only one program of many that was run by the CIA. But there was also a lot of other agencies involved in this stuff. The Canadian Defense Department was. Um, probably FBI, probably all the letter agencies were all interested in these experiments. Now, the only place you could conduct something like this is in a place where, in Dr. Barker's own words, was populated with throwaway people. That's what he called them, throwaway people. So I was included among those throwaway people when I was an 18-year-old helpless kid. But the most astonishing thing is he learned all of these literal brainwashing techniques, mostly from a Chinese re-education camp. There was one, one program in particular that I, I have all of the documentation and how it runs, what the rules are, what's expected of you, what you must do, and what the punishment would be if you didn't do these things. Uh, it's called the MAP program, M-A-P. It's Motivation attitude and participation so <laughs> that's that's are those pretty words for torture yes exactly precisely part of that torture was the use of um seat belt material turned into um uh, essentially bondage equipment so uh seat belt material that was cut into various lengths with grommets punched in them so you could turn them into handcuffs or uh um restraints of all kinds there was multiple ways of tying people up in painful positions. Um, that would be done if you didn't follow the instructions. Some of the instructions would place you in a painful position, sitting like a T-square against the wall, um, unable to move, not allowed to move, not even a finger without the permission of the teacher. And the teacher would be, of course, one of the patients. Absolute brutality, psychological torture combined with physical torture, combined with chemical torture, isolation, the whole gamut of things you're just not allowed to do. But they did. And they got away with it. They got away with it for decades. But I didn't allow them to get away with it forever. I wonder, since let's talk about China for a moment. As you said, it was a closed society. Nobody from the West was going there before Nixon and Kissinger went there. But before that, they were not a democracy. They were a dynasty before 1949. But who do you think, who did they get the, the, the information? Who taught them all this psychological warfare that they eventually taught Dr. Barker? Oh, I think the Chinese came up with it on their own. Um, they didn't have the restraints that we had here in the West against torturing our own citizens. We're not supposed to do that. But in China, they had free reign to do whatever they pleased with uh, dissidents. You see, they, they had mental hospitals in China populated by people who were essentially dissidents against Opposition. the Communist Party. Yeah. Right. So uh, they had free reign to do whatever they want. And they came up with some very creative ways of re-educating people. They wanted to find if, I mean, they could have just killed these people, which they did to about 50 million in the Cultural Revolution. But they also wanted to find if there was a way to um, re-educate people, turn them 
in favor of the Communist Party instead of being dissidents. So they develop programs, um, essentially brainwashing. That's where that's where the term Manchurian candidate came from. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.